Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. Here today will uh, be old enough to remember well uh, the reunification of Ger- Germany in 1990 and the fall of the Berlin Wall the year before that, or the months before that. Uh, in fact, I know some of you got work out of uh, the, uh, the the said uh, fall of the wall, uh, and uh, it, it's quite a remarkable experience uh, and a thing uh, that that if you can remember it, you'll remember was really rather amazing as it symbolised. Uh, the end of, uh, of the Cold War and the division of East and West, though we wonder how uh, much that really has changed, perhaps with current world events. But about five years ago, uh, I was lucky enough to spend a few days in Berlin, and it really is quite uh, an amazing city as it contains so much of uh, the 20th century's history can be kind of captured in that place. And of course, the Berlin Wall being uh, really a big part of that. And uh, if you uh, are lucky enough to have been there, as I have, uh, you'll know that one of the famous uh, landmarks of the city is the Brandenburg Gate, which was built in the 18th century by uh, Frederick William II of Prussia, uh, and he built it as a symbol of peace. Uh, and it's, so it's a, it's a gate that's kind of open and uh, people were meant to be able to come and go from it freely. But of course, when the Berlin Wall comes around and uh, the city is split between uh, east and west, then uh, there you might have seen a picture of how the wall ran along in front of this gate of peace uh, and split the east from the west. And it's really quite a, a, a sad thing, quite a, a, an opposing thing to see this huge big open gate with a, a, a wall running along in front of it. And when you go there today, you can still see where that wall would have been uh, and get some idea of what it would have been like. Of course, when the wall fell, the gate then was able to stand again as this symbol of peace and of unity. And in today's reading in the book of Ephesians that we just had read for us, Paul is encouraging the Ephesian church to live in unity, to to strive for unity. Uh, And we know it's a wonderful thing because when things like the Berlin Wall happen, we we rejoice in, 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 in the unity of that country, in the unity of East and West. Uh, and Paul is telling the, uh, the Christians in Ephesus and he's telling us today that we ought to strive for unity in the church. As Christian brothers and sisters, we need to make every effort, as Paul says, to work for a, unit, a unified church, a unified group of Christian believers. Uh, and we'll see more of that in a moment. But first, I just want to recap 
for those who may not have been here. Uh, As a church, we're working through the book of Ephesians. It's a book in the Bible that was written by Paul, who was an apostle. He wrote it to the church in Ephesus. That's where it gets its name from. And Paul wrote it to the church when he was in jail. Uh, Paul went around uh, the sort of uh, from Jerusalem and up in uh, through uh, Europe uh, and he preached the gospel and people became Christians uh, and people didn't like it and so they put him in jail. Uh, and in, from jail, he would write back to some of the churches that he had started in different places, uh, one of them being Ephesus. And he writes to them to encourage them. He writes to them to encourage them to, to live out their faith. And in the first three chapters, which is what we've been working on up to this point, Paul outlines sort of the big picture uh, of what God has, has done in Jesus Christ. The faith of the church. He, he, he takes three chapters to, to lay out the theological groundwork uh, for why Christians should live as they do. And what he says is that Jesus has done this wonderful thing on the cross. He's died on the cross so that you and me no longer need to live lives of death and destruction, but can live lives of joy and freedom in him. That Jesus' death on the cross, uh, if we trust in that, leads to our death to sin. And his resurrection from death leads to our resurrection to new life in him. And so not only does that happen, that spiritual reality where we move from death to life and restored relationship with him, but Paul also says that he's bringing together Jew and Gentile. That is, he's bringing together these two different groups of people who used to hate each other, and he's not only restoring their relationships with him, but he's restoring their relationships with each other. He's building this new society that finds its unity uh, and its reason for being in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the story of what God has done for us in Christ, restoring our relationship with him and restoring our relationships with one another. And so now in chapter 4, Paul moves on to encouraging the Christians to live out this reality. As John Stott puts it, he says, uh, Paul's moving now from mind-stretching theology to its down-to-earth concrete implications for everyday living. And we see that change, don't we, in the very opening verse. Uh, if you've got it uh, in your notice sheet there, you can have a look uh, in, on the back of the sermon outline in verse 1. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, remember he's in jail, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul's saying, given all that God has done for you in Jesus Christ, in restoring your relationship with him, in restoring your relationship with each other, live like that. Live out that reality in your life. And it's vital that as he moves from theology to practice, that he reminds us the reason why we do good. The reason why he says in verse 2 that we need to be humble and gentle and patient and bear with one another in love is not to earn God's favour, but rather it's in response to God's favour. God has showered his love upon us in Jesus Christ and now he calls us to live out that reality. So he says in verses 2 and 3, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Remember that Paul is writing to a church made up of two distinct groups, 
Jew and Gentile. Groups that in everyday life dislike each other. Think of East and West uh, Germany. Think of uh, Palestinians and Israelis. Think of uh, Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland. Uh, These two groups of people who find themselves living in the same city, in the same kind of area, and yet who have these fundamental disagreements uh, and find the other uh, completely uh, anathema, Paul's saying, now you've found this unity in Christ, now you're coming to church together, strive to live this out, this unity that you have in Jesus. Uh, He says, make every effort because it's not going to be easy. It's not easy to live a life of unity. The desire to do it and the ability to do it, God births that in us as we realise what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. But it still takes effort and hard work for Christians to live out this kind of life. That's why you look around at Christians and you see them failing a lot. There's lots of division. There's lots of different kinds of churches. There's lots of uh, uh, divisive uh, things that go on in the life of the church. And when you look in, you can think, well, that's not very good. And that's because of our sinful nature. But Paul says, remember what God has done for you and make every effort. Seek to live out this life of unity in the power of the Spirit, even if it's hard. And he says in verses 5 and 6 that the reason we need to do this is because of who God is. And God is a God of unity. Now let me tell you, uh, and this is more uh, a reflection for those of us who, uh, who gather here regularly, uh, that I've had a lot of reasons to be reflecting deeply and prayerfully on these first six verses uh, where Paul calls us to unity as a church. As we've sought as a church to navigate our way through changes in order to minister to people of every generation and stage, uh, it's inevitably been difficult. And the question of uh, am I leading a church that is unified has weighed heavily on my mind. And of course... Uh, like any other man or woman, I am imperfect and no doubt have made mistakes. But I do think, as I've prayerfully reflected on this passage of Scripture, that I have sought, though, not, though imperfectly, to try and maintain unity in our church whilst being faithful to the calling God has placed on us and placed on me as your leader to lead us into a new stage of ministry to all ages and stages. And so I want to say today, thank you. Thank you to each of you here who calls yourself a regular member of this church. Thank you for sticking through it. Thank you that though perhaps you may have thought we should have changed more quickly or we should have changed more slowly, although you didn't quite like the way uh, I did this thing or that thing, although you thought maybe we should have had this strategy instead of that strategy, you've stayed and you've made every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. You've been humble. Uh, and admitted you don't know best all the time and neither do I. You've been gentle, you've been patient, you've loved this church enough to stick with it. And so I pray that you're going to continue to commit to doing that. 
to continue to commit to do what Paul says here, he commands us to do here, to live lives in such a way that are worthy of the calling we've received as disciples of Jesus Christ in this place, bearing with one another in love, patience and humility. Thank you. Well, the second half of the reading, uh, and I just want to reflect on that briefly before we get to the fun part of today where we baptise Matilda. Uh, The second uh, part of the reading, Paul talks about the role of leaders as a gift from God to the church. Uh, In verses 7 to 10, he goes into some complex theology that I don't have time to delve into today, but he basically says the ascended Christ has given gifts to the church Uh, to help them to grow in unity. And what are the gifts? Verse 11, you can see it there, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Now we could go into all sorts of detail about what an apostle is, what a prophet is, what an evangelist is, what a pastor is, what a teacher is. But we see in verse 12 and 13 the reason God gives these gifts to the church. Let me read verse 12 and 13. To equip his people for, the works of, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God gives these gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, to enable the church to do ministry and to grow in unity. And these gifts that Paul lists, they're not exhaustive, but he lists a particular set of gifts that are all connected to helping us grow and understand his word. Apostles who teach and lead the church and keep it faithful as it breaks new ground. Prophets who hold God's word fearlessly before people, uh, particularly people of power, even when they don't want to hear it and make sure that the church remains faithful to his word. Evangelists who make the word of God understandable to people who may not yet know him. Pastors who walk beside people and who feed the word of God into their lives in in whatever situation they find themselves in, in sickness, in health, in good times and bads. The pastor is there feeding the sheep and teachers who connect the big ideas of God, who make the complex simple who help people to grow in their knowledge of him. All these things, word-based ministries that Paul lists, that enable the church to grow deeper in their knowledge of God, to grow deeper in their knowledge of his word. And as they do that, as we grow in our knowledge of him through his word, there's unity. It's the fruit of that. As we submit to the the godly leaders uh, that Jesus gives us, we will find ourselves growing in love for one another and in unity. And that will make us reflect more of who God is. Paul rounds out this section in verses 14 to 16 by saying that when we submit ourselves to our spiritually gifted leaders and allow God to use them to grow us in our knowledge of him, this helps us. It helps us be more discerning that when someone else comes along and says, hey, God's actually like this, we'll have been so well taught that we can say, I don't think that's right. That's not what the Bible says. And we know that in uh, verse 15 that uh, we can have a deeper understanding. We can grow in our knowledge of Christ 
and we can be joined together with others and enabled to do the work. Verse 16. The result of godly, God-gifted leadership is that we are helped to grow in our understanding of God's word and enabled to live together in loving unity. I pray that will be the case for us. Uh, Let me finish by just considering this last question. Where does our unity come from as a church? Is it where we live? The fact that we all kind of live around Lindisfarne? Is it the kind of worship we like, whether we like me to be in robes or out of robes? Is it how long we've been coming here? Is it whether or not you think I'm a good minister or not? Is it the fact that you like our vision? Uh, uh, Is any of this the source of our unity? No. None of those things are what ought to unite us. Our unity comes not from me or not from style or not from location. It comes from our submission of our lives to the Lordship of Christ. It comes from acknowledging him and seeking to live lives of love in response to him wherever we find ourselves, whoever he places in front of us. So I pray that you'll join me in seeking daily to submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ, to speak truth to one another in love, and to allow Christ to grow us and build us up in love as we do these things that God has called us to do in this place. Hear, hear. Amen. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you were encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church. www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au Or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless you.